This podcast contains potentially adult language, adult themes, definitely drinking, and possibly sexual context. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Literary Briefs, the follow-up episode that people should listen to on Drinking with Authors. <laughs> oh, okay, I am your host, Erica Lance, and oh, this is, uh, wow, totally forgot my intro. I'm going with next. My co-host today is the amazing... Mark Muncy from EerieFlorida.com. Erie, Florida. And our special guest today is Owl Going Back. Woo! I eventually want to get an audience to sit behind me and just cheer. I'm working on that. I haven't accomplished it yet. Um, but, okay. <laughs> How was that? Okay. So let's talk about what, you're drinking, what we're drinking. Wow. So much gin already. So I'm drinking out of my Drinking with Authors cup. I've got to send some of these out. But it is gin and um, fever tree, cucumber, light, tonic water. Wow, I got that all out. Okay, Mark, what are you drinking? Uh, I am now drinking wonderful Zephyr Hills water to wash down my seizure medicine. So, uh, uh, and, and to kind of pass through that Tribal Screams coffee I had earlier so that I can actually get to sleep tonight. Okay, well, I was going to say, you started drinking coffee at 8 o'clock. I don't know how I feel about that, but go ahead. Uh, Owl, what are you drinking? I am drinking Shipyard Pumpkinhead Ale, wonderful pumpkin-flavored beer, just perfect for the season. That is amazing, and we will do a shout-out. So the coffee that Mark was drinking is a coffee inspired by Owl Going Back, which, the name of it again? Tribal Screams from Coffee Shop of Horrors. Which you can order from coffeeshopofhorrors.com, and uh, uh, or you can go to one of their locations, and they are amazing. So they are thoroughly amazing. They have all this horror themed because coffee shop horrors coffee, and the flavors are amazing. They always are at Spooky Empire, and every time I walk past them, I'm drinking coffee because they have free coffee, and it's terrible because I end up completely jacked up by the. <laughs> Only way to survive spooky. Oh. <laughs> yes, if you survive. <laughs> I say that as if the convention's happening right now, but it makes me sad it's not. Um, but that is where I got to meet you, Mark, right? Yep. Spooky. That's how I met you the first time. That was exactly yes. how we met. And then yeah. uh, Al and I met at Megacon years before, so that's what conventions are all about. And yep. it's sad. Yes, watch out there, authors, go to conventions in your area for things that are um, aligned with you. Meaning, did you know there's a Hallmark Movies convention? Did you know that? Yep. I did oh. not know this. It's huge. Huge. Talk about scary. Yes. <laughs> a terrifying replayed plot. Are you a Do you own a small coffee or flower shop in a small town? This could be you. <laughs> Preferably on a beach. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so, Owl, we have some rapid-fire questions for you. I say we because I have a couple, and Mark's going to come up with some for you. Are okay. you ready? Yeah, but don't expect rapid-fire answers. That's all. <laughs> doesn't matter. As long as I get the rapid-fire questions out, it doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> the first question is, what is your favorite book? Wow, you've already got me stumped. Uh, 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 
Geez, I'm trying to look around here. Um, Princess of Mars. Okay, why? Edgar Rice Burroughs. Uh, I, I love it. It was an adventure story, but it took you on this wonderful adventure to Mars. I mean, the guy just transports himself, and the next thing you know, he's fighting uh, giant four-armed green guys, and it's a whole series of 11 books with John Carter of Mars set during a historic time around the Civil War. But you know, that's back when I was a kid, and I read it, and you think about uh, Mars having these you know civilizations and uh canals and stuff but what fascinates me the book still holds up today and it was written in 1912 wow wow that's interesting what okay so what is your least favorite book of all time mathematics anything <laughs> done in school <laughs> it wasn't was algebra it's my least favorite book algebra oh <laughs> i don't i don't think i had a least favorite i mean i I pretty much read everything. I mean, sometimes it took a couple of tries. Something was really hard science fiction. I may not enjoy it as much. Something, anything I have to pick up a dictionary and try to decipher words. If it's a fantasy and they use all kinds of names, I got to keep sorted. Then that's the least favorite. Uh, as of titles, I don't remember a title at this moment. To be honest, I can, you know, make up something, but algebra is like the only time I remember. I, I love algebra as an answer. That's fantastic. Nobody's ever even. <laughs> close to that i think you know we we're all of um generations that had to read a selected list of books or certain books in school they don't really enforce that as much anymore right they let you kind of choose because they're just hoping you actually read something right but a lot of a lot of the authors i talk to have books based on the fact that they had to read that book and they hated it. I know Mark's favorite thing in the world is any book that refers to the women with alabaster skin. Yes. That's <laughs> alabaster. Favorite thing in the entire world. Alabaster, and then and then of course Jane Eyre. That was the one I was forced to read and and wound up hating for forever. Uh, although the plus was every time I hear the word Rochester, you know, and she would talk about Rochester, I would think of Jack Benny's uh, manservant. And so I would always expect when he would talk that it would, would be Rochester talking, you know, Mr. Benny. Yeah. And it was just, and that made it laughable for me. So I survived it. But uh, yeah, that's my way. Save the list when, my, when I got to like high school, my sophomore year, they changed like the English classes, one, two, three, and four. They did semester courses and it was mystery literature, literature of the supernatural, science fiction literature. We didn't have to do that required list. We were pretty much allowed to read whatever we wanted as long as it was in that genre. So I was spared the whole list of you got to read Moby Dick kind of thing. Uh -huh. I didn't have to do a catcher in a rye. I got to skip through all those. Oh, I'm jealous because I did not get to skip through all those whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely not. Okay, so, Mark, do you have a question yet? Uh, yeah, sure, I've got one. If you could travel <laughs> anywhere in the world to research a book, where would you go? Egypt. There is so much to be explored over there. I would just love to be able to stand in front of something that old and think about mankind. I mean, sunset at the Great Pyramids, it's got to be freaking awesome, especially if you're on peyote or something, you know. <laughs> I Do mean, you just, think the pyramids were built by aliens? I don't, well, I don't know. I don't think we know why they were built. I don't think they were burial chambers. I've done enough research that it goes against all, all the logic. I mean, there are no hieroglyphics inside. There's no decorations. It doesn't look like a tomb. 
I've got a book on the pyramids being uh, power plants that I haven't finished reading it yet, but just uh, the, the concept, this guy come up with a theory. It was very interesting. I don't know if they're built by aliens, but they might've been, you know, other world instructions involved. There are so many ancient uh, civilizations where they talk, talk about stones that are 60 tons a piece and they're put together so, so perfectly that you can't put a knife blade or a sheet of paper in there. It's like that. We can't, do that with today's technology how did they do it back then they had to have some kind of help i agree there was a whole show i saw this is so left this is what happens when i drink a lot of gym um there was a show that talked about the mayans and the building of the like mayan stuff and how there is absolutely no way that could have been built by the humans of that day it's, the theory is that the stone wall is about fitting perfectly. I, read, I listened to a theory a gentleman had. He said, they would work if you would heat them up and soften the stones. I said, yeah, if you put slabs of clay together, then they would fit so perfectly together, you couldn't be able to put a piece of paper between it. So maybe somebody had a technology to heat stuff up back in the day that had been lost in time. There's been several civilizations that basically vanished you know, over the years. So maybe the technology is lost. We don't know. That's, that's entirely true. Okay, what are you working on now? What are you, what are you presently working on? A bottle of beer. Okay, cool. cool. I'll, I'll take that. <laughs> All right. uh, how much uh, does your wife sell her fry bread for? Oh, I, she's never sold any. She's always oh. given it away. You got to catch her on a good day. She's always banana bread, fry bread. Her pumpkin fry bread is my God. It's amazing. But yeah, she she always gives it away. Oh she, man, she I got to get there on the right day. You give me a heads right up. Day. Give me a heads up next time so that we can be she visiting. That. As for a serious answer what I'm working on, I'm doing an introduction to an anthology about Wendigos. And then I've got to do a, a chapter for a book on writing. And then I'm, I'm doing a couple more short stories before I go back to the long stuff. What is the next long one you've got? Oh, uh, I have two, two, three, two, two or three. I got three standalone novels. And I'm also got a sequel to Coyote Rage that's Ooh. still playing around in my head. People want to know what happened to Coyote, and they want to know what happened to Raven and Mouse. And they're such fun characters, I can't leave them hanging. I was gonna say they, they were definitely, uh, you know, jumped right off the page. They were amazing. So they took uh, over. They were minor characters. They stole the show. <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about your fans, since um, Mark is apparently your number one fan and a very, <laughs> you know. There's that uh, one girl that's on a, that likes every single one of his posts two seconds before me, and I'm gonna beat her one of these days. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know we can find. Leave your cell phone at home. We'll go find her. We'll yeah. solve that. <laughs> um, what was that? Oh, fans. So let's talk about fan interaction because obviously you met Mark at MegaCon. What is it like when you get to meet your fans in person? I love it. I, I, you know, every fan, I, you know, I, I love people coming up. I'll talk to anybody about writing and stories and stuff, but I really enjoy meeting the fans. Uh, I'll sit, stand in a hallway and talk for hours with people. I've been known to do it, but yeah, it's like, you know, I, I hate writers who don't want to talk to their fans. Cause I was a fan myself for so many writers. So people who read my stuff, if they take time to read my stuff, then I take time to visit with them. And I've, I've met, made so many friends just by stopping and talking with people at conventions. I think that's a great, and I and I love that you said that for um, anyone listening to this podcast, because I think a lot of times you lose that sense of being human when you get to a certain point and your ego gets to a certain point and you kind of forget that, that they're, they're the people that make you. 
your fans are the people that make or break your career. If, you know, especially now with social media the way it is, oh. you you can't be crappy to people without it being posted in two point five seconds that you were a butthead to people. You know, yeah, the fans are special. I mean, I love I love talking to the fans. I mean, without them, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. Totally. So, has anybody ever cosplayed as one of your characters? Not that I know of. I haven't seen one. It doesn't mean they haven't done it, but I haven't seen one yet. Okay, well, that's a gauntlet thrown for anybody listening. Next time you get to go meet Owl out in person, dress up as one of the characters. Who would you like to see somebody dressed up as? Oh, there's so many. I mean, uh, anybody from Crota. I mean, you know, the sheriff out of Crota, the game warden, or the Crota itself. If you could do a Crota, that'd be great because the big reptilian creature with the love, the, the mane like a lion. I would love to see that as a, as a, somebody wearing it as a costume. Well, I know what Mark's doing for the rest of the weekend. <laughs> see what I can get some sewing kit together here real quick. <laughs> <laughs> he's going to get off of this and he's going to be like, honey? We have to build a protocol. Hold on. All right. So if I work with this head and then. Very nice. Look at that. That would actually work probably. That's what I was thinking. I was just like, immediately, I saw that uh, and I was like, oh, I bet Al would appreciate that. So, <laughs> oh. so, so, so Wendigos, Wendigos, you said you were working on a book on Wendigos. All right. Well, I want an introduction to an anthology that the person's put together and I think it's called Consume. But it's all Wendigo stories. And when, uh, we're just researching and just knowing about Wendigos is fascinating. I mean, because these are legends that have been around for hundreds and hundreds of years. And the actual belief in them that uh, the, the missionaries and the, the, the trappers and stuff recorded back in the 1800s and 1700s. And a Wendigo is a very starving person who is consumed for uh, the desire to eat human flesh. But there are descriptions of them being 12 feet tall. And the, the, them luring people into the woods because they can mimic human speech and call people out. So, plus, it's also a symbol for greed. I mean, you know, Wendigo will be applied to the corporations and stuff who care nothing about the, the people or the land that they're ripping off and they're consuming. Wow. And, and that, that's the, uh, the other thing. Like, uh, with so many, when we're researching so many of these legends, as of right now, we're doing Erie Appalachia, and uh, I'm doing a whole bit on Serpent Mound, you know, because he thought it was the snake and the apple. You know, because he was a Christian who found it. When it's really, when you look at it, it's really the great serpent, you know, which is a common native belief in that area. And and now we're also looking at Alligator Mound in a whole new light because uh, it's it's more, we think, Mishapishu, which was, you know, the uh, the underwater panther. And, you know, the, the natives would explain to the, you know, the, the travelers, they'd be, what's that mound? And what's this creature that lives under the water with a spiky tail and, you know, and it, and it, and it eats people and they go, oh, that's, it's not a panther. Panthers don't go underwater. That's an alligator. And so they, the natives, we think said, oh, kind of like your kissing me story said, oh, okay, well then alligators, your word for it, you know? And so that's why they started calling it alligator mound. And we think that's a whole thing that happened with that. And I love when stories, we start piecing that together and you realize how much history and mythology have just collided and, and tore each other apart. And now you're putting them back together. And that and some of your books do that, which is amazing. Um, I love Crota. And tell me, what is your favorite part of Crota? What was the best part when you wrote it? You went, yes. The, the Crota eating the light sticks. Where I was getting closer and closer, and then it smiled and had the green glowing teeth. I thought that was so, so cool visual. I love to see that in a film. Yep, definitely. 
That is well. You know, do you have that with your fans where they come up and talk about a certain part of the book with you that you don't necessarily remember all of it? I I, I do, and I've had fans. I, I've had fans wrote me. One wrote me and took had taken a paragraph out of my book, Shaman Moon. And said so the paragraph was such inspiration to him that he wrote it down on a piece of paper and put it above his mirror by his bed. And every morning he would get up and recite that paragraph because it meant so much to him that it was inspiration for his life. And, and his, I think it was his brother or his cousin came along and saw it too and made a copy and put it above his mirror, which was a wonderful letter this guy sent me. But I, I don't remember writing the paragraph. I know it's in there. I know I wrote it. But it, to me, it wasn't that big a moment. And my wife's like, don't you remember where he is? I said, no, it's in the book somewhere. I know I wrote it. It sounds like something I would write. But it inspired his life. And that's that's kind of, you know, and when people pick the characters or the things that are important to them. I had a, a guy wrote me who became a sheriff's deputy because of Crota. He graduated unable to read. And he said he learned how to read by reading Crota in the same area where I wrote the book, because he was from the same town, he would he sat there on Lost Creek, which is where the, all this horrible stuff takes place, at nighttime, reading Crota, which is how he taught himself to, to read. And he became a sheriff's deputy because we were from the same area, and he wanted to do something with his life. That's oh, wow. That's got to feel amazing to inspire people like that. Yeah, because you're not expecting to do that. You Writers, you know, nobody writes a book says, I want to inspire people to go do something like you're right to tell a good story i mean you'll put true stuff in there and if they catch it fine and you know it's the whole teaching thing element but you're basically you want to tell a good story you want to entertain you want crota is a bus stop book i want somebody on an airplane or a bus stop to be entertained i was inspired by crota by uh uh amityville horror the book that came out it was a bus stop book you could read it in one setting but you didn't want to put it down till you're done so if you read it one day, that's great. You were entertained for a day. So I was trying to do that same aspect with Crota. I wanted something that you, you didn't have to overthink. You were just along for a fun ride. Very cool. Okay, so I love it when I get to this part of the podcast and my my little drunken gnome that I have in my brain is like, here's this thing that you <laughs> wanted. I'm just kidding. I'm distracted by a shiny object over here. Um, so... Obviously, Mark is a huge fan of yours, and you have many fans. Who who are, when you got to meet them, did you kind of have your own fanboy moment? Well, I know Harlan Ellison read my stories. That was probably the best. Um, when I met Harlan Ellison for the first time, you know, all, anytime you meet him, there, there is a story behind him. We met on an elevator the first time, because he was at the World Science Fiction Convention, I think, in uh, Atlanta. He was in Atlanta. I think it was a World Science Fiction Convention. And he did a speech, his guest of honor speech. And at the end, he said, you know, a lot of people want to come up and shake hands with me and, you know, just walk away until that feeling goes past, leave me alone. So the next day, we're on the elevator, my wife and I, and Harlan and Susan get on. And we rode seven floors in dead silence. And I didn't dare speak to the guy, although I knew he's a great writer. And I wanted to shake his hand. So he comes up to me at a party later on, and he says, you know. You were on the elevator earlier, obviously Native American. He said, you got off, and this Viking woman got on. She got off, and a Klingon got on. He goes, I thought I was losing my fucking mind. And he walks away. He comes back up to me later, and uh, Stuart Wick, who was uh, the publisher of White Wolf, who ran the company, he said, hey, Harlan, have you met Al Goingback? And Harlan's shaking my hand, and he gets this look on his face. He goes, you're Al Goingback? You're Al Goingback? I'm like, yeah. He said, I love your work. I love your stories. And I'm looking at him, I go, okay, what's the catch line? 
He goes, why does everybody think there's a fucking catch line? And I'm serious, <laughs> God damn it. And I was like, well, well, thank you. I said, I can go die happy now because Harlan Ellison just said he likes my stuff. Mm-hmm. But it, we came with friends after that. But it's just that moment is like, wow, Harlan Ellison actually read something I wrote. It was just amazed. I never thought that would ever happen. Wow. He, he follows your he followed your philosophy, which was the either sit, read or write constant. Yep. And that was and that's what you know, when I found out he had read one of my things, it was just like, oh, my God, mind blown. I met him at a convention. We all have a Harlan story of a certain age. I have the best Harlan <laughs> story in the world. I got to be Harlan. What? We were go- he picked me up, and we were going to launch when we were in California for the Screen Arctic Expo. Harlan and Susan in the front, their little Hugo, I'm in the back. We got in a huge accident in the intersection, totaled his car and the other person's car. Harlan had to go to do his speech. So, you know, the tow truck came, Harlan called AAA, and the tow truck came, but Harlan had him tow the other people's car, being Harlan being a nice guy. And he hauled another tow truck. He said, look, you know, I, you know, I said, well, look, Harlan, you've got to do a speech. You guys get in a taxi cab, go, I'll stay here. And Harlan's like, make sure you get my car towed. I said, okay, Harlan, you know, I'm fear. I'm going to make sure he gets car towed. The tow driver guy shows up and he gets out. He goes, okay, Mr. Ellison, just a few questions. Uh, what is your address? I don't know the address. So I'm like, uh, uh, you know, I really, really hurt my head in that accident. I, I can't think of my address right now. He goes, okay, don't worry about it. What's your phone number? Uh, uh, I really can't think. He said, well, here's a car. Well, my wife drives it. I don't know what year. And I'm faking Harlan Ellison with amnesia because I'm scared to death. I'm not going to get this car towed. And I'm bullshit. And I'm standing here in Hollywood. I can see the Hollywood sign. I'm doing this performance on a street corner. I got the car towed. And the funniest thing, uh, the guy's w- walking off. I start l- driving off in the car. I start laughing. I said, there goes the tow truck driver who thinks that Harlan Ellison's a six foot three Indian. So I got to be <laughs> this command performance of Harlan Ellison. That is awesome. I'll tell you, confidence is an amazing thing. If you do things confidently, you'd be amazed what you can accomplish. It was fear. I did not want to go back to that convention and tell Harlan Ellison the car was still sitting there. I was like, my God, that car was getting towed. Oh, man. That's awesome. So do you, um, you've been writing a while. Do you have any particular habits? Like, do, do you have any particular good habits? As a writer, do you think? Like, what are you really good at? Oh, procrastination, probably. Uh, (laughs) I'm really serious. I'm very good when somebody waves a contract in front of me or throws money my way. because I don't want to pay it back. Uh, I'm dedicated then. Up until that point, I'm kind of wishy-washy, but I got a wife that keeps me in line. Uh, Bad habits might be, you know, I really don't have any bad habits. I'm serious. When I go into writer's mode, I'm focused. I stay away from, I, I cut way back on the alcohol and I just kick, kick out the story. I might go out and smoke a pipe occasionally or a cigar, but in Florida when it's, you know, 100 degrees outside, I don't even do that anymore. I did cigars more when I had a little dachshund because she would sit here and stare at me and I'd go out with a cigar so I'd have like 30 minutes with the dog outside to let her play. That's why I took up cigars. But I, I haven't smoked one of those in about nine months. But yeah, I really no bad habits and the good habits just being focused. I, I mean, I'm I'm serious when it comes to knuckling down when, when there's a job to be done. I'm under a deadline. I'm great with deadlines. How has COVID affected your writing? It's you know mentally it's affected it. You think that all this time I have at home, it would be you know I it'd be easier to do it. But no, I, I know a lot of writers in the same boat. It's it's hard on the mind. 
it's really hard to stay focused with COVID. It's, it's not so much I'm missing going out because I never went out that much anyway. I never went to dinner that much. Uh, conventions I miss, but I, I'm pretty much the same schedule I had. But just the mental aspect of what's going on in the world, it does. It's hard to shut out reality. It's getting harder all the time. You try to not think about it, but you're like, my God, we're in a pandemic. I mean, who would have thought this is happening? And when is this ever going to end or is it? So, it, yeah, it kind of wears you down. There's there's moments just to focus. It takes twice as much caffeine to get going in the morning. No, I agree. It's, it's interesting because when you talk about, like, you're writing full-time, which is a little different than even me and Mark, right? We're not at the point where we can write full-time as a gig yet, right? And... I find it as much as I was like, look at this now, like I, I have structure and I don't, you know, I'm, I tend to be a ridiculously social person. I'm sure nobody's noticed that at all. <laughs> I tend to, when, before the pandemic, I was going out a lot or going to events or going to conventions or doing different writing events. Like I did a lot of stuff like that. And then this happened and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to get a lot of stuff done if I have to be at my house and I'm, you know, can't go out and do all these things. And then that didn't happen, you know, and talking to a lot of authors now, which I, I'm very fortunate that I get to. It didn't happen for them either. I've not met a single author that was like, this has been awesome. I've been able to write a ton of stuff. You know? They, no, it doesn't affect you mentally. My wife's like, oh, don't think about that. But an author, you can't really turn it off. You want to, but you can't turn it off. And she doesn't understand that. She's like, oh, just ignore it. No, it's in your head. It's there. It's like when you have a problem with a car. You can't get anything done because you worry about that little problem with your car. The same thing with COVID. You get that little problem in the back of your head. It keeps talking to you.
hers curled, but her face was like a corpse. She's looking at the grave, but her eyes are looking right at me. And she does not look happy that I'm taking her picture. So I started investigating this, and the story was hundreds of people have seen this spirit. They call her the bride because she died a week before. And don't forget, if you can dress up as one of the characters from his book, you oh, will yeah. be totally thrilled. Time to cosplay owl. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> this is this is fun. Thank you so much for being here. I've been Erica Lance, my guest with co-host with me. I'm fine drinking. That's okay. It's okay. <laughs>